Good morning, uh, Pure Grace. How y'all doing this morning? Let me see how I'm going to maneuver around here so y'all can see me. All right, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Uh, this is not my first or second time being here. Actually, the first time I think I came was like 2012, where I uh, met Pastor Justin. He was the youth pastor at the time, and uh, actually came here, and we found out we had a couple things in common. We love Jesus, and we love rap music. <laughs> and I just happened to be a, a, a Christian or a hip-hop artist myself, and I uh, actually came here, and we had fellowship. We worshiped together, and you know, it's just been a beautiful relationship from there. You know, we just growing with uh, my wife and him and his wife and his kids. And now, you know, I'm just seeing how that family is just extending. And so it's, it's an honor to be here this morning and share the word of God with you. And uh, I just know God got a powerful word this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's pray before we get started. The eternal Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for another uh, opportunity just to gather in your name, Father. Right now, Lord, we just ask that you use me as your willing vessel, Lord. Speak your word to your people, Lord. And we just pray that right now that you begin just to open up every heart and mind to receive your word, Lord. We just thank you right now that lives will never be the same after this encounter, Lord. We thank you right now, Lord, that you're beginning to just invade and, and put peace in, inside the walls of everyone's mind. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you right now for the blood that was shed for us, Lord. We thank you right now for you extending your grace on our lives, Father. Lord, we thank you for that new covenant, Lord, that you have established through your son. And we just forever appreciate you and honor you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Can have a seat. I'm not going to be long before you this morning. Uh, but I was talking to Pastor Justin, and he was telling me about, you know, you guys have been discussing matters on the kingdom. And I'm like, man, that's right up my alley, you know. So that's, that's what I want to share with you guys uh, this morning about. Um, I guess you could call this session Rediscovering the Kingdom. Rediscovering the Kingdom. And uh, first and foremost, I just want to lay down a basic foundation uh, asking this question, what is the kingdom? Let's write that down. If you have anything to write with or write on, or you use your T-Mobiles or your iPhones, let's use those. What is the kingdom? It's the kingdom uh, message. Is the kingdom a religion? Is the kingdom a denomination? Is the kingdom a belief system? Is the kingdom a movement? Is it a theology. You know, these are some of the uh, misconceptions and some of the uh, assumptions that a lot of people have when we hear about the kingdom of God. Uh, but today, I want to talk about exactly what the kingdom is. But first, let's explain what the kingdom is not. Uh, first off, you can't attach the kingdom to your religion. Amen. You can't attach the kingdom to your culture. You can't attach the kingdom to your race. You can't attach the kingdom to your opinions. Amen? You can't attach the kingdom to your philosophies. You can't attach the kingdom to your ideology. You can't attach the kingdom to your denomination. I believe that the kingdom of God transcends all of these things. Amen? Uh, Jesus original and primary mandate, his mission and his message was one thing, and that was the kingdom. Amen? Uh, the first statement that he made in his public ministry at the age of 30 was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That word repent means to think differently. Uh, this is why I previously said that we can't attach the kingdom to uh, our way of thinking. Even the word of God tells us, lean not on your own understanding. Amen? So we understand that when we come into the kingdom of God, we are really entering into a whole different paradigm. Amen? Um, heaven, we have to be mindful that heaven does not join or co connect to earthly matters, but rather that heaven colonizes earth. Uh, God created earth to receive everything that heaven has. 
I, I kind of explain, and you try to use technology when it comes to talking to uh, the group that I speak to, which is majority of millennials. Uh, I said it's pretty much like this. God wanted to right-click in heaven, with a, get his mouse and right-click in heaven, push copy, stroll down on earth, right-click, paste, and there you have it. <laughs> uh, Let's turn to, let's do this. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. One of the most remarkable things about the kingdom of God is that this is an unshakable kingdom. Uh, it can't be shaken. So I want you to know that if it's anything that can be shaken, it's not a part of the kingdom. So even when we start seeing things shake up in the world, we shouldn't be uh, uh, so disturbed or so just bent out of shape about it, but we should understand that, hey, if it's shaking up, then it's not of God. Even the things in your life that begin to start shaking up. We have to understand that God allows us to go through this process where he destroys and then rebuilds. Amen? So it's a lot of things when you, uh, when you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and you get born again, then you're going to go through that process where it's going to be some things that's in you that have to get destroyed, some foundations and uh, some structures that's within you that has to get destroyed. Amen? In order for God to rebuild on that. Uh, Hebrews 12 and 28, you got to say amen. You don't say hold on. says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. What I've observed is that every power that is resisting the kingdom is shaken. Whether it's in economics whether it's in government, whether it's in the business or the arts and entertainment and education, uh, what we're seeing is heaven invading earth and that motion is quaking hell. Amen? Amen. God is breaking, tell your neighbor, God is breaking through. God is, breaking God is manifesting glory. God is manifesting glory. And we as the sons of God should rejoice because we are a part of an unshakable kingdom. Amen? Amen? Now turn with me to Matthew 13 and 44. Matthew 13 and 44. Matthew 13 and 44 says that the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. Wow. Do you know that a lot of people miss entering the kingdom because they still have some possessions of some things? A lot of us still haven't sold, completely sold out to God. Amen? Some of us still haven't sold our nationality. We haven't sold our ancestry. We haven't sold our ethnicity. We haven't sold our philosophy. We haven't sold our religion. We haven't sold our opinions. We're still holding on to our point of view. And the word of God tells us that it's Christ who shall rule in our spirit. And I believe that we have this misunderstanding about God's kingdom because many of us have misunderstood the word of God itself. Uh, the Bible is what I consider one of the most great, greatly misunderstood books. The Bible is not about a religion. It's not about rituals. But rather, the Bible is about the establishment of a kingdom, rulership on this planet from a heavenly realm. It's about a divine project of governing earth from heaven through mankind. And due to this misunderstanding of the Bible and the message and the mission and mandate of Jesus, the kingdom message has been lost in translation. Religion has seemed to serve as a substitute 
for the kingdom and thus hindered mankind from pursuing a genuine answer to his dilemma. And religion will always preoccupy man until he finds the kingdom. Here's the difference. Religion seeks to take earth to heaven. The kingdom seeks to bring heaven on earth. Religion is what man offers to God. The kingdom is what God is offering to man. Let's write this down. The kingdom is a country with a government. The kingdom is a country with a government. I just want to give you uh, about three or four things. The kingdom is a country with a government. Number two, the kingdom is the territory ruled by a king. Territory ruled by a king. There's no guessing who this king is in this case. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Write this down. The kingdom of God is a holy nation, not a denomination. <laughs> the kingdom of God is a holy nation, not a denomination. Amen. I always tell, you know, different people when I'm talking to them, you know, uh, it's, it's very unfortunate that we still are divided as the body of Christ. You know, uh, one thing about me, even though I'm not ascribing to any denomination, I'm still not looking down or distancing or out trying to ostracize myself or others just because of the denomination or these titles that we get so caught up in. Uh, I feel like it's a shame that we're all reading the same book but not on the same page. Uh, and I believe that the, the problem is coming in is because many of us don't, don't know how to hear the voice of God. And um, it's very simple. Like, you know, I've been discipling a lot of collegiate kids lately, and that's one of their main concerns. How do I hear from God? How do I hear from God? Uh, and I simply tell them, man, you just simply ask, and you shall receive. I'm, I'm, I'm sure every father wants or desires to have a relationship with their children. Amen? And I understand that once my perspective shifted from looking at God as a subject to be studied, but rather looking at him as a father to be experienced, Amen. then a lot of the misconceptions that I had in my mind began to shift with that shift. Amen? So I, I want to encourage you to begin to look at God as who he is, and he's your father. Not only is, is he a king, but he's your father. So by birthright, that makes you kings. That makes all of us a part of this same royal family. That's one of the reasons why I said we can't attach the kingdom to race. I believe even in this nation, we get so caught up. We didn't got so caught up on the racial tension. And I just know that that's the enemy that's trying to seek to divide us as a people. But if anybody in this nation should be able to look at what unity looked like, they should see it in the church. They should see it in the church because we ought to be a reflection of what heaven look like. And there's no concept of race in heaven. So if our objective is to reflect heaven on earth, then it needs to look just like it looked this morning. We look beautiful this morning. There's many different colors and flavors, and that's how God is. Amen? So tell your neighbor, don't invite God into your limitations. Uh, the kingdom of God is not, write this down, the kingdom of God is not in communication, it's in demonstration. Where am I pulling that from? I'm pulling that from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, where it talks about that the kingdom of God is not mere talk but power. Amen? Hallelujah. Write this down. The kingdom of God is a literal, tangible kingdom. It's a literal, tangible kingdom. Hallelujah. Don't be deceived, ladies and gentlemen. The kingdom of God is not just when Jesus returned. 
for Christ is here now. Amen? He's dwelling in us. The sons and the daughters of the Most High. Don't postpone the kingdom to the future because of your interpretation of Scripture. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible speaks about God having an everlasting kingdom. Hallelujah. Uh, write this down. Earth is heaven's crown land. Earth is heaven's crown land. When we talk about crown land, crown land simply means it belongs to the one who wears the crown. Hallelujah. Don't for one minute look at what's going wrong on earth and think that God isn't in control. He wrote in his word what we will see today so that we would not be alone. He set the end from the beginning. That means that our future is God's past. Our revelation is God's genesis. So don't say that the kingdom has come only when Jesus returned. Repeat after me. The world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. Hallelujah. Sometimes you just got to change that. Again, repent. Change your thinking. Hallelujah. Don't be so quick to label a thing a disaster or a tragedy from the vantage point in which you look at it, but rather try to see it from the Father's perspective. Because a lot of things, again, that's shaking on earth and a lot of things that's going wrong on earth, I see as a perfect opportunity for us to bring the message of the kingdom, to communicate it and demonstrate it. Because when people getting frustrated by the world and its systems, then we can show them that there is a greater government, there is a greater system that's made available to them, that they have access to. And then they're going to be saying, okay, how can I get in? And that's when we talk to them about Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Because Jesus is the way. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so this kingdom, this concept about the kingdom, I want us to first understand that the kingdom, the concept of it didn't originate on earth. Amen. It originated in heaven. The word kingdom comes from an old English word that means government. The word gospel comes from an old English word that means good tidings or good news. Uh, just to expand on that a little, the kingdom is defined as a sovereign rulership and governing influence of a king over his domain. Amen? Now, I want to talk to uh, you guys a little bit about what the true gospel is. I think that gets lost in translation as well. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the gospel is the message that was brought by Jesus, correct? Well, what was the message of Jesus? When we study the word of God, uh, we begin to see something totally different from rather what the average Christian or person that had a Christian experience may say. Uh, you ask anybody that's been influenced by any religious experience, uh, they, they may tell you, well, his message was born again. Uh, Jesus' message was, you must be saved. Uh, his message was that he died on the cross and that he shed his blood for you. But as far as the gospel that Jesus preached, none of these messages was the primary message that he preached. First thing to understand is that the gospel is not the message, but rather the gospel is a description of the message. Now, if I asked you, did Jesus preach the gospel, raise your hand if you would tell me yes. Amen. Amen. That's true. If I followed that question with another question and asked, where did Jesus preach about his death, burial, and resurrection? You couldn't give me an answer. That's because Jesus never preached about his death, burial, and resurrection to a multitude. The only time Jesus ever mentioned his death and resurrection was behind closed doors, was in the private confines and conversations with his disciples. But Jesus' public ministry consisted of him having one message, one mission, one mandate, and that was the kingdom of God. That's the message that proclaims the return of the governing influence 
of the kingdom of heaven on earth. This message proclaims the opportunity for all mankind to regain their lost dominion over earth and its environment through the reception of the Holy Spirit. It's a reconnecting of earth with heaven. Jesus came to earth to announce the arrival of this kingdom and to establish it here on earth through his death and resurrection. Our problem is this. We keep preaching about Jesus and not preaching what Jesus preached. What happens when we abridge the gospel is it produces a generation of evangelicals who effectively win souls and continue to lose culture. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it gives us what our first priority should be. It says to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So God has given us two priorities, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. First of all, priority means prime concern. It's, it means first place. It means most important. Uh, when we talk about the word righteousness, that's really a political term. It means to be in right standing with authority. In this case, it means to be in right standings with God. Amen? So if we're born in sin, how can we become in right standings with God? Through grace. Amen? That's some good news. Some really good news. Because the wages of sin is death. Aren't you happy you don't have to die? <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> All right, so Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it gives us the answer to that question. It says that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Wow. So if we're preaching the gospel and we're only referring to his righteousness and never mentioning the kingdom, many uh, have just accepted the gospel of salvation, yet the true good news is the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God. Salvation is within the gospel of the kingdom message. Amen? Not the gospel in its entirety. We are called to preach the full gospel. Amen? This is why we see a lot of people, raise your hand if you ever heard somebody say, I'm not always saved. Oh, uh, God ain't done with me yet. Especially when they finna get ready to uh, go off on somebody, uh, get in a fight. Say, I ain't all the way saved now. <laughs> well, I believe that people are making statements and comments like that because we have presented and preached to them an incomplete gospel. And the reason why is because many of us have received or been taught an incomplete gospel. Uh, we haven't been called to preach half-truths. We are commissioned to preach the whole truth. Now, I don't know about your parents, but my mama used to tell me that a half-truth is still a lie. Amen? Uh, there is no such thing as being in Christ and still living a life of sin. This reality reshapes every part of our existence. The Bible says that through grace, we are justified by faith, in which we receive a new status. That new status is righteous, forgiven, citizens in God's kingdom. Guess what else we receive? A new family. We are all adopted into sonship. We receive a new future. Amen? A transformed life. We are now a part of a new humanity God has established through the Messiah. Not through religion, not through the law, but by the Spirit are we no longer slaves to sin. Hallelujah. Ask yourself this. Write this question down. Do you know who you are in him? Do I know who I am in him? 
When people ask you, who are you, uh, do you even know the answer? Or do you just give them your name? Are you saying the same thing about yourself that God has revealed in his word concerning you? I want to share a couple things about who you are with you today. Is that all right? I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I'm a, excuse me. I'm, I'm going to give it to you and let you write it down so you can take it with you when you go home. And you can just study on it and just let it flow and filter into your consciousness. Amen? All right. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 8. Write that scripture down. I'm going to tell you what it says about you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 through 8, tells you that you are God's child. You are God's child. That's a heavy statement. Here's why. I have three children. My children, my relationship with my children is not based on their behavior. I'm not, as a father, keeping an account of how wrong they are. Of course, I'm going to discipline them when they act up, but it never changes the status of our relationship. I think that analogy is so powerful because it frees us a lot from the whole spirit of condemnation. We, we think that our relationship with God is based on our performance. But I want to let you know that... Uh, your relationship with God is sealed. You're always going to be his child. I was listening, to, I was reading an article, and there was this uh, Asian pastor. He was having an interview, and they were asking him about that question concerning God, uh, feeling condemned because they continue to sin even though they love God, and how do he deal with that issue? And he said, oh, I have one son and I have a dog. Uh, my dog is obedient. When I tell him to sit, he sit. When I tell him to do this, he do this. He doesn't make a mess. Uh, anytime he has to go to the bathroom, he goes to the door and let me know my dog is completely obedient. My two-year-old son, on the other hand, <laughs> is a handful. He said, but when I die, who will I leave my inheritance to? Of course not, the dog. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So you need to also understand that as a child of God, you have an inheritance. And the word of God is your key to discovering that inheritance because the word of God is the will of God. And anybody knows what a will is? Amen? A person writes a will so they can give an instructions to what they want to be done with their property and their assets when they die. Here's the problem. In order for God to be God, how can he die? Right? This is where Jesus come in. God came in the flesh, and the death of Jesus activated that will. So now you have access to that inheritance. So when you read the Bible, don't be reading it. When you read the word of God, don't read it just from the lens of rules, 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 rules. But rather read it, getting an understanding and a revelation of who you are and what you now have access to. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, number two. According to John 15 and 15, you are a friend of Christ. You are a friend of Christ. Again, that's John 15 and 15. Then, if you scroll over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it tells you that you are a citizen of heaven. A citizen of heaven. So not only do you just have membership in a local church, but you're also a citizen of a government in heaven. Amen? What's the difference between membership and citizenship? Well, one has rights. Amen? Hallelujah. 
So I, I say that we need more kingdom citizens and less religious immigrants. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, according to Ephesians, I'll give you guys two more. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are God's worksmanship. You are God's workmanship. That debunks your whole issues with body image. That debunks all of your thoughts of insecurity. That frees you from that, 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 that torment of depression, of not having self-esteem. Because once you get a revelation that you were made, not just in the image of God, but you were fashioned by the creator himself. Amen? That speaks to your value of who you are. God didn't make a mistake when he created you. I'm here to tell you that this morning. Let the standard of what you consider beauty be defined by what you look in the mirror. Amen? Hallelujah. And last but not least, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you are a new creation. A new creation. Repeat after me. What's true of Jesus is now true of us who believe. Hallelujah. One more thing that I want to share with you guys about, uh, and, and God shared this with me this morning, concerning about the kingdom of God and seeking the kingdom and that being our first priority, is that the kingdom meets you where you are. Amen? How many of y'all know that God's grace will meet you where you are? The, and this, I, I want to kind of break that down, what I mean by the kingdom of God will meet you where you are, because at face value... That statement kind of sounds like I'm contradicting what Matthew chapter 6 and uh, verse 33 is saying. But let's understand that seeking the kingdom does not mean that you cease our human activity. Amen. Some people are under the impression that you must discontinue everything that you already had going on, everything that you was doing. Uh, you have, and, and that's having an improper view of what consecration looks like. Uh, how we function in the kingdom determines how we present it to others. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, somebody might say, well, I need a job. you telling me to seek the kingdom. I need a job. Well, seeking the kingdom is expressed by seeking God's will in that. Not understanding this piece of, of, of revelation is what will put people under the impression that they are too busy for God. That they don't have time for God. So what happens is they'll start doing it the world's way. Somebody may say, I want to seek the kingdom, but I'm in this relationship. Okay, so you submit right there and say, God, open up and show me clearly what it is you want me to do concerning the relationships I have. If you are a student, you don't stop going to class to say you're seeking the kingdom. If you are a mother or a father, you don't stop parenting to say you're seeking the kingdom. If you have a job or a career, you don't stop going to work to say you're seeking the kingdom. <laughs> I don't think Alabama Power take prayer requests. <laughs> <laughs> Write this down. You seek God in everything you do. Hallelujah. You seek God in everything you do. Proverbs 3, I mean, Proverbs 16 and 3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Another translation says, commit your activities to the Lord, and your plans will be achieved. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, we are the family of God. And I believe that, you know, Normally, families have the same last name. I believe the last name of Jesus' family is the whosoever's. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that believing in him. 
Amen. Even when Jesus was told that his mother and his brothers and his sisters was outside and they wanted to speak with him, Jesus responded by saying, who is my mother and brothers and sisters? And he pointed to his disciples and said, whosoever does the will of my father is my family. That's a big shift. Amen. Hallelujah. The kingdom is here and now. We don't have to postpone it. Because you can never appropriate what you postpone. Jesus made this statement because it's, you know, I, I've heard different people that believe different as far as the kingdom not being here right now and it's not being a now and, and you can't have it in that moment. Uh, but I want to take you to Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Where it said, where Jesus made this statement. He said, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, Jesus said this statement over 2,000 years ago. And he told people who were standing there at the time, over 2,000 years ago, that they would be alive when his kingdom would appear on earth over 2,000 years ago. This is important because some of us keep preaching that the kingdom is something that is coming. This is why we can't benefit from it right now because we keep pushing it to later. The truth is that the kingdom is here and that the kingdom is now. If you say otherwise, then in reality, I want you to understand that you are saying that the Holy Spirit is not here on earth. You are saying that Jesus did not finish his work when he was here on earth. What do you believe? Do you believe what a friend or what you heard another pre uh, preacher or teacher or parent or friend say? Or do you believe what Jesus said himself? Hallelujah. We are the body of Christ. I tell people uh, when it comes to Christ... Jesus is singular, but Christ is plural. Amen? When you ask who is Christ, Christ is the head, which is Jesus, and the body, which is the church. So we need to understand that everything that, was, that we saw in Jesus' public ministry can be present in our ministry. We can demonstrate that same power. Write this down. The church is not an address. The church is not an address, meaning that the church is not a place. The word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which was a word used at the time to describe a, a, a senate. It was like a cabinet in that modern-day uh, democracy. These are individuals who were handpicked by the emperor to receive his thoughts, his passions, his desires, and his intent. And their job was to take the mind of the king and turn it into legislation that could be carried out in the kingdom. The fact that Jesus would use the word ecclesia to describe his body of followers was telling us exactly what he was establishing. The word church is a political term rather than a religious term. And it also is the ministration of the governor himself, who is the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus told Peter, upon this rock of your confession of who I am, I will build my ecclesia, he was saying, which is, again, the same thing like a senate or a cabinet or administration. He was saying that in the same way that Caesar, who is the lord of his government, has created a senate, an ecclesia, I will establish my own ecclesia who will carry out my intent and do my will. So Jesus was establishing not a religion, but rather a political force. Hallelujah. The church is not, a, 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 not just what we see as this place of worship, but rather the church is a body of legislators. The sanctuary is the place of worship. Right? But the church is not the synagogue per se, 
seeing that the worship is not confined to a particular location, but rather worship is the lifestyle of the believer. Also, the church is to occupy the world of trade, the marketplace. The church is God's personal strategy to appoint and to call out uh, delegated individuals to represent the heavenly government. The church is a body of ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom of God on earth. So in order to appreciate the power and distinction of the church, we got to understand her true identity. Amen? The church is the bride of Christ, not the nanny of the world. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to conclude with talking about uh, entering God's rest. Entering God's rest. What is God's rest? Uh, first, let's read Hebrews chapter 4. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. I want to say around verse, I know we're going to end at verse 10, but we can really start at verse 1. It says, therefore, Hebrews 4 and 1, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith in those who obeyed. Now we have believed, uh, now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declare in, on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage I already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Tell your neighbor it's time to enter his rest. Rest is not just a state of mind per se. His rest, write this down, rest is a quality of life. Jesus just didn't come to give us life. He came to give us an abundant life. Amen? Rest is the address of the spirit-filled believer. It's a part of that inheritance that we receive in Christ. Rest is heaven on earth in us. Rest is what we consider the modern-day Garden of Eden. Rest is peace. Rest is stress-free. Rest is being relaxed yet recharged. This is a lifestyle, not, not a vacation. But rather, life will feel like a vacation because the Spirit of the Lord has taken residence within us. I don't have to run anywhere or to anything to escape because I have now entered into Yahweh's rest. Rest is a constant state of being in the presence, in God's presence, because he has taken habitation within us. I got a song where I, saw, uh, where I sang, I got God with me everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. And everywhere I go, that song seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And during the period in my life when I wrote the song, I didn't even have a, a, 
a, a deep understanding of what God's rest and what the Sabbath really meant. But I knew that just by me just being in that atmosphere of worship uh, in my home when I was writing the song and what I was hearing, because the song came different than a lot of other songs that I write. But this song rather came, uh, I guess you would say, kind of prophetic or in the form of, in hip-hop terms, we call it freestyling. So rather I was receiving unpremeditated thoughts in my mind as I was listening to the instrumentation and I began to just flow through, flow through with everything that I was hearing. But that, uh, that statement, for you to make that declaration that you got God with me everywhere you go, that's testifying of the truth of that you have entered into God's rest. Amen? Genesis chapter 2 verse 2 says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Hebrews chapter 4 and 10, we just read it. It says that for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. The seventh day is and has always been regarded as the Sabbath. And in the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded to abstain from all work and to dedicate that day to worship the Lord. Anyone who did anything on that day was in violation of breaking the commandment. But today, we don't live under the law. We live under grace, by faith in the finished works of Jesus. Are you starting to see the connection? God rested after he finished his works, creating the heavens and the earth in six days. Jesus comes in and he finished his works, a.k.a. coming under the law, fulfilling the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we don't have to live under the law, but we can enter the rest and live just like Adam did before the fall. By not working to please God with good works, but by living in oneness with the Holy Spirit. When we speak of living in his rest, we now understand that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We don't work for success. We work from success. And work doesn't seem like work because we're actually now doing what we were created to do. So we have a passion for it. It's like a bird swimming. A bird doesn't have to take swim lessons. I mean, a fish doesn't have to take swim lessons. Y'all sit there and let me say that. Ain't nobody correct me. Like, what birds he know that swim? A fish doesn't have to take swim lessons. And a bird doesn't have to take... <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and ducks. And birds don't have to go to flight school. Amen? Because God created them to do that. According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he created you to have dominion. Amen? So when it comes to uh, understanding the intelligence of God... It's not really something that should be learned, but rather discerned. Amen? I want to finish this off with just giving you guys this, and I'm out your way. Um, when it comes to this work uh, that God has put you, and when I say work, I'm using that as far as your purpose. Uh, it's a part of your DNA code. It's who you are. It's not by our sweat or hustle, but we freely serve the world our gift because it fulfills us to do so. So no, it's not rest from work, but rather it's rest in work. It's rest while you are working. Religion has been telling you uh, that God wants work from you. No God wants from you is rest. If you work God will rest. If you rest, God will work. It's a big difference. Jesus said in Matthew 11, uh, verse 28, he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So how do you enter the kingdom? It's by receiving the gospel of the kingdom that was preached to you. This message has to have value to you. You have to hear it and have faith in it.
All who have faith in Jesus are entering God's rest. God's work is finished. Therefore, the door to enter into his rest has been made available, and Jesus is that door. He is that gate. So we have to stop looking at God's commands as obligations and start looking at God's commands as opportunities, favorable moments to enter into his glory, an opening to gain access to something more valuable uh, than earthly riches. And you can enter into that rest today. Amen? Just by accepting Christ and having faith in the gospel of the kingdom. Seek the kingdom every day of your life. Don't get distracted. Don't get off course. Remain in God regardless of what life throws at you. Only people who don't respond to God with faith and willingness fail to enter. Don't be like the Israelites who wandered in the desert for 40 years because they couldn't get their mind right. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey was too a prophetic metaphor as well. However, they refused to obey God. They murmured against him, and they complained, and they even lusted to go back to bondage under the Egyptians. Just as believers today lust to go back to live in the world. And what happened? They never entered the promised land, a.k.a. rest. See, God used them as an example for us. Yet the promise to enter his rest still stands. God provides for those who have entered his rest. There is a hedge of protection for those who have entered his rest. There is an empowerment and enablement to perform what he has required of you in his rest. Your mind is fixed on him. Your life is completely changed. You no longer have to wrestle with what you did while you were in the outer courts of the holies of holies. All you have to do is consistently submit to God. Not just with speech, but with action, with attitude and character. Hallelujah. Appreciate y'all.